My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you this morning, both for those of you who are here in person and those of you joining us online. It is good to be together. Uh, one of our hopes and our dreams here at Faith Covenant Church is to continue to learn what it means to be a truly intergenerational church. And so we value having our kids with us in worship. And during the message time, if your kids need to wiggle and move around and uh, be a little noisy, that's okay. It won't bother us. Uh, would you pray with me as we take time to look into God's Word this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for not only the gift of our children and the next generation that we can uh, bless and pass on your gift of love to, but, but the fact that you invite each one of us to come to you as children ourselves. And no matter how old we get, we are reminded that your love as a Heavenly Father invites us to be to be blessed by you uh, as your kids. And so speak to us your word of love and encouragement again today in the midst of the darkness and the pain of a, of a lost and a hurting world. God, we need to hear your good news again this morning. So speak your word to us and help us to go from this place today, taking that good news, that light and that love to share, not only with our own families and our own church, but with all those you would bring into our path this Christmas season. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Our Advent series that we are going through, we are calling Good News, Great Joy for All People, uh, which comes from the, the passage of the shepherds in the field that uh, Linda read for us this morning. And uh, isn't it true that we find ourselves again in a season where we all need some good news? And we, and we need a little joy in our lives, and, and we need God to come and to bring those gifts of Christmas to us again that we celebrate in the lighting of the Advent candles, and that even in the difficult times we have hope, and that even in the, the anxiety and the worry and the fear that we might experience, we can still have peace in our hearts. That the joy that comes from God's Spirit isn't based on our external circumstances, but it's based on the confidence of what God has already accomplished for us in His Son, Jesus. And therefore, we are invited to live a life of love, living in the love of God has shown for us and to share that love with one another. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of, of watching, and it's a season of preparation and anticipation, just like many of us are in the, in the throes of preparing for the holidays and preparing for Christmas to come. And last week, we introduced the series by asking some questions like, what are you waiting for this Christmas? What are you hoping for or longing for, for yourself or for your family or for our world in this season? And what work are you willing to do to prepare your heart to receive the King of glory in maybe some new ways or maybe some ways you didn't even expect in this new Christmas season? The second candle of Advent reminds us of the gift of peace that God promised to His people. And yet, if you look around, I'm assuming in your life and in my life, if you look around our city and you look around our nation and you look around the world, it can be hard to even hope for peace, can't it? How do you make peace with someone who won't even listen to you? What kind of peace is possible when the people that we love the most are hurting and in pain? 
Where can we find peace when worry and anxiety never stop creeping into our own hearts and our own emotions, even when we try to be joyful and have a positive attitude, still that that nagging fear creeps in that that maybe things aren't going to work out the way that we hope? Whether we recognize it or not, each and every day, as men and women, as human beings, we're longing for peace. We're longing for what the Bible calls shalom, which is more than just the absence of conflict. Shalom, peace in the Bible, has to do that when you, when you learn, yearn for a deep inner security in your, in your own spirit that allows you to be your true self without guilt or without shame or without self-hatred. Shalom has to do with this craving that we have for harmony in all of our relationships that too often suffer from threats of aggression or rejection or abandonment, and especially in our cancel culture. Shalom has to do with this search and this longing that we all have for a stabilizing peace in the, in the political and the geopolitical landscape of the, the globe on which we live that can see the world become more an opportunity for collaboration and partnership rather than criticism and conflict and warfare. We want peace. We need peace. And yet in our humanity, we struggle so hard to know how to get it. The message of Christmas for us again this year is the good news that God has announced through his word and as we've heard through the angels and as we've seen in the gift of his son Jesus, that peace is already here. And it's also how our story ends. The prophet Isaiah predicted the peace that God would bring that would be both an immediate fulfillment of God's promise to his people, but also would be an indicator of God's ultimate plan of his salvation for the whole world. I want to read the longer passage of Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 2 through 7. It's a little longer, but it's the familiar passage of the prophet Isaiah looking ahead to God's plan and his promise to bring the gift of peace to his people. In verse 2 it says, "The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
We're familiar with this passage. We, we pull this out every Christmas, and we celebrate that we have a wonderful counselor, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And yet, can I suggest today that we continue to struggle to believe that peace is possible for us today? The Bible tells us that the root of all the disorder in the world in which we live was ultimately disbelief. In the beginning, Adam and Eve knew God, right? They walked in the garden with him like like they were friends, like they were family, and they got along famously for a while. (laughs) And so what happened? They doubted God. They chose not to believe what God had told them, and, and by their actions, they introduced into life in this world a pattern of disruption in God's creation that we continue to experience today. Now, the Bible calls this pattern of disruption sin, where we begin to see that sin creeps in and disrupts our relationships with one another. It disrupts our relationships as human beings, as tribes, as nations, as states around the world. It disrupts our relationship with God and it creates disharmony among people, even those who claim to love each other, and it disorders all of our human interactions and relationships, even with the very creation that God has given us to enjoy. Ultimately, this disruption causes damage and pain and suffering that is very difficult and very costly to repair, if it can ever be repaired. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah also announced that one day, those old patterns of disruption will come to an end, that that the remnants of of war and conflict, like the boots and the bloodied garments of, of a battle, can be piled up and will be burned because they will no longer be needed. And in a poetic language, he he begins to go on and describe what the future peace of God might look like, or can I even say what it might feel like to begin to imagine a different possible world than the one we experience today. In chapter 11, in verse 6, he says, the wolf will live with the lamb. What? The leopard will lie down with the goat. That's not possible. (laughs) The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. What is he talking about? We're going to stop there in the passage, but what we see here, and he goes on to talk about this image of what peace will feel like and look like when God is in control, when his kingdom comes. We see that that this isn't a vision of peace just between people who God says, hey, get along with each other. He paints a picture of a world that is so at peace that the very conflicts that are inherent that we see in nature itself are fundamentally changed and reordered so that a whole new reality exists. The very things we take for granted as being a part of the world we live in, the nature of creation, even the nature of who we are as human beings and who we have come to believe ourselves to be, Isaiah says, will be fundamentally altered in ways that we never could have imagined. 
And isn't this the same idea that the Apostle Paul picks up in the New Testament in Romans 8.21, where he says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. You see, what we see in Scripture is that God is telling us that the kind of peace he has intended to bring into the world was a peace that would not only bring reconciliation between God and his people, but that it would begin to restore the very brokenness of the creation of which we are a part and the very human existence that we have as a part of that broken creation. God's healing would come to us in ways that we couldn't have imagined. What a promise! What an amazing vision of what, what God has, has, uh, has offered to us. And what we celebrate as Christmas is that this very promise has already been fulfilled. And yet, like Adam and Eve, we continue to doubt God's word. We continue to struggle to believe that what God has said is true. And so even though we long for peace, even though we need peace, we continue to worry and fear and be anxious and struggle through life in this world, all the while missing the very gift that God has made available through his son Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, there are whispers of the one who would come, the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would pave the way to peace, who would usher in the shalom of God and would fundamentally alter everything we thought we knew and everything that we had taken for granted. And isn't it interesting that Isaiah didn't say that one day a mighty warrior would come? One day, a powerful CEO would take over the reins of the human corporation and lead us into profitable victory. The surprising climax of Isaiah's prophecy comes in verse 6 of chapter 9 when he unexpectedly proclaims, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. How many of you guys would give the governmental control of your family to your kids? <laughs> How would that work out, right? We don't give kids control. We don't trust kids to be wise in leading us. How is a, a kid going to take the government of the world on his shoulders? That's insane. Isaiah, what are you talking about? And yet he says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This kid! Maybe we need to start to look at our kids with new eyes. Maybe we need to reassess the, the value and the, the possible wisdom that is inherent in, in childhood that we can learn from as adults who we think when we get to a certain age and a stage of life, there's nothing new that you can teach us. There's nothing new we need to learn. There's no more growth that we need to pursue. But all the while, is it possible that we've lost the childlike nature of our own faith and so we miss the very gifts that God has continued to want to give us of hope and peace and joy and love in the midst of a dark and a hurting world? 
God has done something that no one could have imagined or expected. The God of the universe, the creator of the world, would enter into his own creation to be the savior of the world, and he would come in the form of a helpless baby. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann says that this shows that the future liberation is wholly and entirely God's initiative. That is why it is so totally different from our human plans and possibilities. On the human side of things, all we see here is weakness and helplessness. It's not the pride and the strength of the the grown adult which are proclaimed as the threshold of the kingdom of God, but the defenselessness and the hope of a baby, a child that is born to you and to me. You see, Jesus as Savior comes to us at Christmas as a newborn baby, shattering our own illusions of pride and control in life in, our, in this world and dissolving our own defenses that, that we think that there's anything that we can do to find peace in our own strength. The kingdom of peace, as the Bible has predicted, has come to us through the innocence and the humility and the weakness and the helplessness of a child. And the liberation of the bondage to sin doesn't come through through strength. It comes through weakness and accepting the gift of God that comes as grace and that it can't be earned or merited or manufactured. We have to come to God as children in need of a loving parent who helps us to find our way in the world. And can I suggest that just like the ancient Israelites who who read these prophecies thousands of years ago, we too continue to live with the pressure of impossible expectations on our own lives. In pursuit of unattainable perfection, with the brokenness and these patterns of disruption that continue to challenge our hope and and to to continue to disrupt the harmony in our own relationships and to rob us of the peace that we so desperately long for. At Christmas time, we're invited to remember the birth of Jesus is a sign of God's promise of peace to you and to me. We're invited to hear the words that the angel brought to Mary as a word of encouragement to us as well. You may remember those words from Luke 1, beginning in verse 30, where it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Does that sound like Isaiah chapter 9 to you at all? Is there a thread of connection that God has woven into the story of his people that that he wants us to be able to remember that he wants to weave into the story of our lives as well? That as a child born of a virgin, Jesus didn't inherit the curse of Adam's sin. Jesus was not born into the same disruption of life that we experience so that he alone is able to lead us to a pattern of restored humanity. 
And so in Jesus, God invites us to allow him to begin to bring his healing and his restoration to the very disruptive patterns of our own lives in our own relationships. How many of you today, if you're honest and you don't have to raise a hand or, or, or acknowledge it in publicly, <laughs> but if you look at your pattern of life and your pattern of relationship, how many would you say you experience disruption? That it doesn't work out the way that you, 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 you try and, and, and do everything possible to make it work the way you want and, and something comes up and, and throws a wrench into it. Somebody reacts differently than you hoped they would. Somebody gets angry at you for something that you didn't intend to do, but that other mad at you because you did it and, and, and relationship begins to break down. How many of you know somebody who used to attend Faith Covenant Church that is no longer here because of a disruption of relationship? When all the while, if we go back and we remember the story of Jesus and we remember his teaching his disciples, we remember in Matthew 18, verse 3, he said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children... You will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. But thank God Jesus doesn't stay a baby forever, does he? <laughs> like in Talladega Nights, where they only pray to the baby Jesus. <laughs> You see, in obedience to his father, Jesus goes on to initiate God's new covenant with all of humanity. And by reinterpreting the Passover feast around himself, his body becomes the bread that is broken for us. His blood becomes the cup of the new covenant, the new promise shed for us. And in so doing, Jesus himself becomes the pathway to peace for you and for me. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 13, says, But now in Christ Jesus, who once, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have become brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And then I want to jump to verse 22 just to wrap up this section. He says in verse 22, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Look around the room today. When you come to church on Sunday morning, when you hang out with your friends, do you see a dwelling where God lives by His Spirit? I think too often we focus on the building and the activities and the actions that we do to perform our love for God, but we miss the opportunity to understand that God is building us together in relationship to be a place where God dwells among us by His Spirit. And, and if God truly dwells in you and in me, shouldn't we live in peace? Shouldn't we come together as little children, all in need of the love and the grace of God, loving one another and learning how to work it out for God's good, for our good and for God's glory? See, as Christians, we're not just individuals who come together and can participate in relationship with each other because we have the same ideas or because we believe the same truths. 
The Bible says that if we have truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and the Spirit of the living God is indwelling in our lives and in our relationships, we have become a new kind of human. We have become a new kind of people. We've become a new kind of family. Living out a new story, living under a different authority than the people in the world live under. And in the process, the old patterns of disruption will begin to fall away and be restored by God's love, and that peace will usher in, and we will find help, and we will find hope for living in the darkness of this world because we already know how the story ends. You see, Christmas, once again, becomes an invitation to discover Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Where do you long for peace this Christmas? Is there someone in your life whom you hope to make peace with? Do you need peace in the midst of an ongoing or difficult or painful situation? Are you wishing for a more peaceful and just society that can better reflect the, the peace and the justice of God's love in our world? The reality is we know that we cannot control the circumstances and the people in our lives. But we can invite the Prince of Peace to come and to rule in our hearts again so that, so that not only will we begin to experience peace in our own lives, but we can become agents of peace to those around us and we can participate in the arrival of the kingdom of God that came at that first Christmas morning. You know, if you think about Christmas, as we give gifts to one another, aren't we giving gifts to honor Jesus? and to acknowledge the gift that he's given us? Aren't we invited to remember that the greatest gift was Jesus coming into the world and, and that gift of, his, of God's Son, Jesus, continues to be the, the greatest gift that was ever given? His life is a gift to you and to me again this Christmas that is as humble and disarming as a baby. It's an acceptable sacrifice for your sin and for mine. It's a path to holistic and legitimate peace in our lives and in our relationships. And even as Jesus entered into this world as a child, as a sign of God's peace, so too, as Jesus left this world, he, he made, having made atonement for sin, he left his disciples with the gift of peace. And that's where I want to close this morning. And I want to invite you to receive the gift of peace from Jesus as his gift to you this Christmas. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of peace and the gift of your light and your love at Christmas. Give us courage to accept that gift again and to recognize that even now, today, we can experience your peace in our hearts and we can become agents of that peace to those around us. Forgive us for the ways, God, that we doubt you and that we look to all the other things in this world to, to try and find hope and happiness and to create peace for ourselves, never realizing that you've already paid the price so that we could have the gift of peace that can only come from you. And we will praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray.